What is up, you beautiful human? Hello, and welcome back to the Raw, Real, and Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Beck Antonucci. This podcast episode today is one that I really ummed and ahed about sharing, wondering if it was a little bit too raw, a little bit too real, a little bit too very vulnerable. I'm on the wave. It was a week of the microwave. The week where Mercury was in the microwave and I never, ever, ever blame my human experience and all my emotions on the planet. However, when I did speak about this particular week online, you all started sharing with me that you were in it too and Venus was out of the way and some other planet was somewhere else and I was like, can those planets just go back to the fuck where they came from so that we can all get back to our lives of alignment and grace? Like, well, Rebecca, I know you're working towards your life of alignment, but are you ever living in a state of grace? I'm like, no, no, I never am. And I really fell into, do I share this episode? Do I not share this episode? Is it a little bit too much? I'm like, are we ever too much? And then I also asked myself, you know what, Beck, what are you a stand for? You're a stand for women really owning the fullness of their human experience. And you're a permission slip for women to feel okay for their pain, for their shame, for their breakdowns. So many women are sharing with me right now the pain that they have gone through in grieving past relationships and feeling like they should be somewhere else a little bit quicker or through the breakup a little bit faster. And I have actually found this relationship really hard, a lot harder than what I expected it to be. I thought that I would move through it quite easily and it's actually been emotionally really challenging for me to move through. So you're going to hear that today in this podcast episode as I'm on the wave and I'm so grateful to this relationship. They say that the greatest relationships trigger your deepest core wounds. And I know that this past relationship did exactly that for me. You're going to hear today all about the father wound. You're going to hear today all about the money wound. And one thing that I want to share with you ladies is that more money does not mean less money stories. So many women say to me, I'm going to work on my money stories once I have more money. And I'm going to let you know that my business is in such a different place to where I was three and a half years ago. And I am still working on that deep core wound because it's so baked into my nervous system from childhood and it is also generational trauma too. I come from an Italian family that were poor. This is in my DNA. This is so baked into my safety. So I want you to know that so that you don't elude yourself into believing I will deal with my money stuff once I have more money because you will get more money and you will still have to deal with your money stuff. This relationship also reflected back to me my not enough wound, my not pretty enough, not good enough, not sexy enough, not whatever enough that I believe that I could be for my perfect life to actually exist all around me and also my bullying wound too. So I am so grateful to this relationship for truly amplifying all that exists within so that I can truly work on and heal through this. And I was actually sharing, Jake and I had a beautiful clearing conversation and another goodbye conversation yesterday. We've actually said this is the final goodbye for three to six months, but we just shared our appreciation for each other and our best friendship and really just honored that a part of the reason it's been so hard to let go is because we truly are best, best friends that had a dream of our relationship being something other than what it was. And we're cutting the cord of that fantasy and we're grieving that as well and letting go of it rather than fighting that it's not here and doesn't exist right now. I hope that this podcast episode allows you to sit in the question of what it is that you're tolerating because I truly do believe that in your life, whatever it is that you are tolerating, you are perpetuating more of that experience and it is up to you to be a stand for your standards no matter what anyone else in your life thinks of them. If you love this episode, please screenshot it, 
share it to your story, tag me so that I can connect with you and so that I can share it as well. This is one hell of a truly vulnerable podcast episode. Strap yourself in. Let's fucking go. Mercury is in the microwave and I have been having an absolute time the past three days. It's Wednesday and from Sunday night all the way through to now, it has been one bloody emotional wave that I have been surfing. And it's so funny. I think I've said this to you in podcast episodes in the past where I think that I'm through it and I just feel so liberated. I'm like, yes, life is great and all my decisions are the best ever and I'm committed to my vision. And I know that my aligned partner, my pleasurable, expansive relationship where we're creating a vision together and impacting thousands of people around the world together, I know that's coming. And then I have moments where I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing in Bali? Why am I here? After America, where do I go next? Do I want to come back to Bali? Where is home? I don't have a home to go to. I packed up my beautiful home. I gave it up, but I gave it up for this. And I said that my word for 2023 was aliveness. And when I feel into my life in Perth, I don't feel aliveness at all. And I know that all of these emotions are a part of feeling alive, but oh my God, did I really think that I wanted this? And I'm like, is that even true? Is this all going to be worth it? Did I give up a beautiful relationship for nothing? And then, oh, just the fucking roller coaster. I'm just to be completely transparent with you, just really going through such a hard time with this breakup. I'm just not good at breakups. I feel like I was talking about my dissatisfaction in my relationship in a year up to the lead up to the breakup. And now it's like oh, a year of dealing with, I know it's only September, but I'm like, when will this end? I just feel like we're not taught how to be with breakups. We're not taught how to let someone go. We're not taught how to forgive. I mean, we are taught forgiveness, but in hindsight, I just see all the places that I didn't use my voice. I see all the places where I really settled. I see all the places when I said yes, when I really meant no and said things were okay when they really weren't. You know, a big conversation that we've been having in my groups right now is asking what are you tolerating? Because anything that you're tolerating, you're just creating more of. And I just see so much when I reflect on the relationship, so much that I tolerated, so much that I made excuses for because someone's a good person. You know, my ex-partner is such a good, beautiful, pure, pure-hearted, kind person. He's the kindest, most loving person I've ever met. And he wants everyone to win. And I loved, I just loved that about him. And he also made so many parts that I was once so terrified of feel so safe. Like I wasn't this embodied in the herpes piece three years ago when we first met. I just wasn't. I was an entirely different person then. And so I feel like I really made exceptions for that, for him making that piece feel so safe. I know he shared a story with me that someone within his friendship circle was like, what about all the shit she talks about on the internet? And he turned around and said something along the lines of, she helps thousands of women learn how to love and accept themselves. I think that's awesome, don't you? And I just loved that. It felt like someone in my corner standing by my side, supporting me, encouraging me. And then when I think about all the other things, I'm like, oh, I thought I really attracted someone that was so in alignment with my values. But now in hindsight, I just see so many places where I'm like, I'm in pain right now and I'm making myself feel worse for the pain that I'm in that if I'd just known differently then, which is so funny, right? We all do this. Even 
the women that come to me for the herpes piece. They're like, if I'd just not swiped that guy on Tinder or I'd not worn that short skirt or I made this guy use a condom or I'd not had too many drinks, we blame ourselves for the pain that we end up in afterwards if I just made a different decision. And what's really coming up for me, to be really honest, is just more stuff around men and I feel like it's dad stuff. I remember being a kid and I had the most loving upbringing and my sister always gets on her high horse whenever I talk about my parents online. That She's like, they're loving parents. I'm like, I know they're loving parents, like beautiful, cute. If you've been on my Instagram, they're the cutest parents, loving parents, protective parents, helicopter parents. My dad still now, I'm 35, and he'll message me and be like, hi, it's your dada. And I'll be like, hi, dad, with love heart. We're talking emojis to each other. My dad doesn't want me to grow up. My dad wants me to be his little girl. That's who he sees when he looks at me. And I think my dad's sole purpose was to have daughters and then for us to have his grandchildren and him be a nonno. He just adores us. So I had a beautiful upbringing and I had a strict Italian helicopter dad who didn't let me do anything. If I was to trip, my dad was so close to me that he could catch me before I fall. There's a story that mum tells about us being at some kind of event with all the children playing and mum being with all the mums and I'm about to climb a ladder to go down a slide and my dad's losing his mind because mum's not close to me to catch me if I fall off and fall into the sand and hurt myself. So my dad's just beautiful. He never wanted his little girls to get hurt and harmed. That was his thing. And that created as a teenager a very strict upbringing. I wasn't allowed to catch public transport. I went to private or girls school. They didn't want me to talk to boys. I wasn't allowed to go to parties. If I was to go to a party, I think I was allowed to go to two my entire life. He wanted to call the parents, speak to the parents, ask them why they think it's okay to serve alcohol to people that are underage. Just your typical helicopter, wog, Italian, strict dad. And so my entire life, all I've desired is freedom freedom to not be told what to do, when to do it, what to study at uni. I remember I went to uni, I wanted to be a lawyer and I'd said from around age five or six, I'm going to be a lawyer when I grow up. And I even remember my year seven teacher, Mr. Martin, he was like, you're going to be an amazing lawyer. Like it was such a theme from such a young age. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. I finished school. I get the TI, I get accepted into law at Notre Dame. And my dad's so ecstatic that I'm going to be a lawyer. And then at 17, I realized I don't really think I want to be a lawyer. And then I end up going to uni to do accounting and marketing. And after six months of uni, I'm like, well, I don't think I really want to be an accountant. And I remember after the first six months of uni coming back to my parents' home because I was still living with them. I don't think I turned 18 yet. I turned around and said to dad in the kitchen, I don't want to go back to uni next semester. I don't feel like it's for me. I'm reading the words in the book, but the words are just kind of going in one ear and out the other. I'm a hands-on learner. I'm not enjoying it. I don't see myself doing this as a career. And he lost his mind. He was like, what are you going to do? And I remember distinctly his words, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for a job? You're going to have to go and get a job. You're going to have to contribute. You're going to have to contribute to the household. What are you going to do? If you're not going to go to uni, if you're not going to be a lawyer, if you're not going to be an accountant, what are you going to do? And I was just so like, oh my God, of this like force coming at me that I decided, okay, I'll go back to uni for another semester. So I went back to uni for another semester. I didn't even do my exams for that final six months because I just knew I was a no to university. And so that was just another thing of like, oh, my dad telling me what to do, how to do it, where to go, what time to be home. And I just couldn't wait to be 18 and to be free and to be free to make my own decisions. I remember getting my first job and getting my bank card and getting my first paycheck. And I just remember feeling like, oh my God, this is a part of my freedom. This is a part of basically my dad never being able to tell me 
when I can and when I can't do something, what I can buy and what I cannot buy. I remember being 12 and dad giving me $30 to go to the movies with my friend Stephanie Pin. And I always spent the weekend at her house. My dad didn't give me any context. He didn't say, come home with $10 change or come home with $15 change. He just gave me $30. I remember this very specifically. And I went to Stephanie Pin's house for the weekend. And I think day one, we went to the movies and her mum paid for us. She didn't let me pay. And she got us our treats and all the things. So on Sunday, Stephanie Pin and I are like, whoa, we still got 30 bucks here. And so we spent it all. Anyway, I got home that night. It was Sunday evening. I'm 12 years old. I remember being in the hallway of my parents' home. And dad turned to me and said, hey, where's my change? And I looked at him and I was like, oh, I don't have any change. And I remember him telling me off, but not like trouble telling off, like disappointment. I remember feeling so much shame in that moment. And I specifically remember his words. He turned to me and said, your mother would never spend $30 on herself. And I remember just feeling like, oh, like my stomach being ripped out of my insides by him saying this to me and me just feeling like, so sad. And even now when I think about it, I feel this sensation of like nauseousness and shame and sickness through my body when I think and tune into that memory. I just remember feeling so, so bad, so bad, so upset, so sad, so upset with myself, so upset with him that he didn't tell me come home with X amount of change. Like didn't set me up with better boundaries as a 12-year-old that was just given 30 bucks to go wild. And so I share that because when I got my first bank card and when I got my first paycheck again, I was like, whoa, this is a part of my keys to my freedom. No man, my dad can never tell me how much I can or cannot spend again. I can just earn it for myself and I can do what I want with it. I even remember dad used to get so mad at me. He would say to me, give me half your money so I can save it for you. Now, my dad really would have saved it all for me, but I was just like, no, because he was so strict, I just resisted everything that he did, even if it was quote unquote good for me. He would tell me not to get too drunk, which is actually really great advice. And I always my entire life wish that I'd listen. But because my dad told me, I was like, no, fuck him. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. So from 18 to 25, I would get absolutely blind, crazy drunk. I wouldn't even know the journey from having a drink to being drunk because it would be like I had one drink and all of a sudden I don't remember my night and I'd wake up in bed the next morning and wonder what the fuck happened the night before. And I really got myself into some dangerous situations, but it was basically this inner rebellion of this teenage girl that had felt so controlled and so caged her entire life. And now remember, if you put wild animal in a cage, that animal is going to fight like fucking hell to try and get out of it. And so that's kind of been a big part of the ethos of my relationship with men my entire life. And granted, I've always attracted beautiful men that actually really want to love me. I'm like, why are you going through all of this doubt right now? Every partner that you've ever called in, been attracted to, has really fought for you, has wanted to be with you. You're the one that's unfulfilled. The next one will be the aligned one. But there's also been this essence of it's such a double-edged sword that I hate feeling controlled. It's why I'm an entrepreneur. It's why I run my own business. But I also am so submissive. Like there is such a gentle, tender, sweet, soft part of me that just loves, loves to submit to the man. I love him to be in control. I love to trust his leadership. I love that. And so it's like, I want that. And I also want it in a really healthy, beautiful way. And there's also that part of me that I've shared on the podcast in the past that just looks to the man for guidance and just says, okay, all the time, 
when things are not okay. I want you to hear all the different layers. I'm talking about a man telling me what to do. I'm talking about money. This is all in a child stuff. What my dad says goes. So there's still a part of my little girl that shows up in relationship that's like what the man says goes, even when my woman is like, that is not okay. And money is so baked into my nervous system, my survival, my sense of safety, that that has played such a big theme in my life. It's why I'm so driven to create so much because it's such a deep wound for me. So there are so many layers here. And now I'm going through this deep pain. I don't think anyone's good at moving through a breakup, but this just deep pain. I really love Jake. We had a big text war yesterday or the day before. He was like, if you love me so much and you're going through such a hard time, you wouldn't have left and you wouldn't have made my life hell. Jake really thinks for a year through his most challenging year in business, I really made his life really difficult. And I feel compassion and empathy for him to a degree. But I also feel this intense frustration and hurt and pain of not being heard as a woman and just told how I should feel. And this is a part of my pain and my frustration of there's so many obvious things that I'm seeing when I reflect on our relationship that our relationship truly was at very, very different life stages. Like my business started to fly and his did not, which put so many limitations on him, which put so many limitations on our relationship. And I really feel like I wasn't enrolled into a conversation around that of like, babe, I'm about to build another business and I'm about to work 16 hours a day. And financially, I have no bandwidth to do things, to do things on the weekend, to travel. I feel really frustrated, just so angry. A man is telling me how to be like, oh my God, I gave my heart to you. I chose to love you, to trust you, to trust your leadership. And I ended up at 35 in a relationship with someone that couldn't travel somewhere with me, that couldn't go on a holiday with me, that couldn't go to Gold Coast and go to Preston Alexi's workshops with me because you got yourself in such deep financial scarcity. And I get shivers all down my body as I say this. It's such an intense trigger and wound for me that money needs to be so safe. It's why, like I said, that memory of my father It's so inside of me that that is why I am driven to create so much. I'm still working on it. I still know how much money is so rooted in my belief around me being safe. So rooted, so deep, deep, deep pain and fear around there not being enough. It's really funny. My dad has money, but sometimes he speaks about it like there isn't enough. And my dad doesn't even know how much would ever be enough for him to be okay with his thoughts about it. And so this has impacted my little girl so much that part of my relationship standard has always been that my partner earns 200,000 Australian dollars, that or more, and is working towards his greater vision. And so when I enter relationship, I've always entered relationship with men who are financially really stable and really secure. And then that second business got built and things changed. And that I didn't realize at the time until I've been doing some deep work around the pain that I've been experiencing in this relationship breakdown of the absolute fucking terror that put into my inner child to witness a partner go through such deep financial scarcity, even to the point that we would go for coffees and he would turn around to me and say, hey, babe, we'll just get our own coffees today. At 35, I feel I didn't agree to that. And that put terror and so much fear through me as a woman. And I just feel so frustrated to be told as a supportive partner, you should just be my rock and support me. But I didn't agree to having a partner that couldn't travel anywhere with me, that couldn't go to any of the workshops that I love to go with me, that couldn't come to Bali with me, that couldn't come to witness me marry my best friends in Greece. 
And I'm just so annoyed. So I know that I'm in the microwave right now. Mercury is in fucking retrograde and my friends are like, Venus is in there too. I'm like, can the fucking planets just go back to wherever the fuck they came from and I can feel better right now. But I'm just so in it. I'm so mad that I feel like I'm grieving someone that I can just see so much misalignment in so many ways. Even he loved to get drunk and I don't love to get drunk. And I don't know what he's like now. He says that he's changing. His thing to me, and this is what really hurts me, is like everything's changing now, Rebecca, and you weren't patient enough. You weren't patient enough. You quit when there was struggle. And I just don't agree with that. For three years, I feel like I watched someone get drunk like a child and kiss me like a little boy. And even when all my memories on fucking Facebook pop up and I can see all these memories of our nights out and videos, I have all these memories just witnessing him drunk and drunk and drunk and drunk. And like, I really believe whatever you're tolerating, you're creating more of. But my complaint was intimacy. And when he talks about this, he's like, there was just no polarity, Rebecca. You're too masculine. You're too this. You don't use your voice enough. And I'm like, okay, I don't use my voice enough. I am too masculine. But then I'm also like, hold on. He just doesn't see me the way that some men do see me because he doesn't even like my curly hair. He thinks that I look like a buffy sumo wrestler. And men find my curly hair so sexy that I'm like, why am I fighting something that just like is not aligned? And there's a part of me that's like, did I give up too soon? I'm so upset with myself. Why do I pick these boys that are transitioning? And not men yet. They're still boys. They're still figuring out their lives. Like him and my ex from 10 years ago, I'm asking for them to be men for me. I'm asking you to be a fucking man for me. I'm asking for you to lead me. I don't want to speak every single one of my needs to you. I don't want that. I wanted you to lead me. I wanted to trust your leadership. I'm so clear on my desires now. Everyone is saying to me, come on, Rebecca, you're so clear on what you desire now. I do not want to be ever again the primary breadwinner. I do not want that. Even for my business right now, where is my aligned partner? Where is he? I don't want him to come and rescue me because I'm fine on my own. But my entire life, I have never admitted that I want a partner, ever. I got my first boyfriend when I was 17 to 19. I was madly in love with him. And then that ended. I was so girly as well. I didn't wear tight-fitted clothes. I wore little pretty dresses and I would GHD curl my hair. My hair is curly. <laughs> I would put clip-in extensions to get a millimetre longer hair. My hair is like down to my bum. I would do all my eyeshadow. I was just so girly and I just loved this boy so much. And I was so heart open. Like I was just so madly in love. Like I thought he was my forever and we were going to get married. And that breakup ended really abruptly and through an act of physical violence. And it was like the most painful physically and emotionally that I'd ever gone through in my entire life. Like I remember the next day coming home, had an egg out of my head, a bruise down my face, crying, I hadn't slept. And my mum being like, where is, I'll call him Sam for the example of this, where's Sam? And Sam never came back around again and Sam and I were broken up. And I remember for a month I didn't eat, I didn't sleep, I just cried. And I remember that being the most torturous pain of what felt like my entire life because I'd never experienced love or intimacy. He was basically my first almost everything, and I just loved him. And from that point, I have never, ever said I desire a partner, not once. And it's like after each person, someone came in out of nowhere. Two weeks after, I met this man, this gorgeous man who was older than me, 
and actually one of the most beautiful, like physically and emotionally beautiful men I've ever met. We had the most incredible, passionate, I'm pretty sure he's like the best sex of my whole life. He just like came in two weeks later and then that ended after a year of spending time together. And then I ended up with a filler boyfriend that I really, for two years of my life, don't even remember. But it was never like, I want a boyfriend, I want a boyfriend, I want a boyfriend. It was just like someone would kind of tap in and he would be there. There's always like one man around. And then the boyfriend that I was next madly in love with, fatuated, obsessed with him, obsessed with his family, wanted to have his babies. I was so in love. That's the last time I remember really being in love. Like I know I loved Jake, but the last time I remember being in love and fully heart open was that relationship. But again, it was never like, I want a boyfriend. And then when that relationship ended, I was like, I fucking do not want a boyfriend. And I went through seven years single. I stayed with obviously the guy that passed HSV to me. And then I was single. And since then, never again, even when Jake walked past my Pilates window, I was not like, I want a boyfriend. And what was really funny was my mentor, Preston, we'd been on a call and we were talking about dating. And Preston said, you know, the rock is often the person that holds everyone, but who holds them? He said to me, you know, Rebecca, you get to do some work on this and you get to let someone hold your heart. And I had just met Jake and Preston's specific words were, who gets to hold your heart? And something happened where Jake and I went to a party or something. I think someone gave me a Dexy. I do not take Dexies. They give me mad anxiety. And for a week, I was just really upset for five days. And every single day, Jake got on a video call with me and just held me in my sadness. And he was like, it's okay. You're safe with me. I will hold your heart, Rebecca. And I was like, oh my God. He said the exact words the press said. And so I explored this relationship. I'm just like, I've never, ever, ever said to myself that I desire a partnership. And I feel like at 35, I'm like, now I'm finally ready. I'm ready. I'm wiping my eyes. I feel like I'm actually ready to love someone and care for someone and love someone for how they feel to be loved by me. And I really just desire to trust my man to be able to lead us. I'm so clear on what I don't want. I don't want to teach. I don't want to have to teach him how to treat me right. I don't want to be patient. I'm so frustrated with Jake right now because he's telling me, you just had to be patient, Rebecca. I deserve to be with a man that makes me feel safe and makes me feel financially safe and secure as well. At 30, like fucking oath. At 25, I will get into a relationship with someone that's building a business and going through the fucking struggle, but not at 35 when I'm like, hold on, we've got babies to be had soon. What about someone supporting me? Like, I'm doing all this work. What for? I feel like the reason that my husband isn't here right now is because there's still women's lives to impact greatly around the HSV conversation. And I just wonder sometimes, someone asked me, and I love my business. My business is definitely the path of least resistance. Everything is so easy with her, like women that I call in, the community that I create, the clients that I attract, the wealth that I have brought in, how I get paid. The retreat, I just put up a few stories, sold out. I'm just so excited for the retreat in March, 2024. And just everything that I do, just the best women ever and the most mind-blowing, miraculous breakthroughs. It's like, as soon as I said yes to the coaching, I feel like she has her own heart, her own soul, her own entity. She just happens. But one of my Bali housemates said to me the other day, like, what is your vision? And I was like, this business can absolutely blow up and go absolutely fucking bonkers. And I love seeing a woman fully express. It lights me on fire and it turns me on and it gets me so excited. 
But I said to her, if I'm really honest, I feel like my vision is my husband and my babies. I'll keep doing my podcast, obviously, when that happens, and I'll keep doing my work. I'm so clear that I desire to create with him. Like, yes, to continue to create my own stuff, but I also deeply desire to be creating a vision with him and for us to be impacting lives and the world together. I'm so clear. And I'm just like, I don't know why whilst I'm in the microwave, I'm just trying to grasp onto like, could it have been Jay? Could we have made it work? Should I have just been patient? Am I mad at myself for tolerating? You don't even find my curly hair sexy. You got drunk like a child. Him just telling me that I should have just been patient and him telling me that I'm chaotic and him telling me that I'm this and I'm that and I made his life hell and challenging. And me being like, why is this this expectation of a man telling me that I should have been patient and I should have stayed in Bali and I should have done what he needed for him to have a supportive partner? What about what I needed? What about you stepping up to me? Sounds to me like my vision's bigger. Why did I have to step down? Why didn't you step up? Why didn't you come with me? And my nervous system mentor was like, Beck, stop. This is not your role to initiate a man. He's going through his own initiation. I'm like, oh my God, I know how to create an incredibly successful business. Why couldn't he just come with me? Why? And she's like, Beck, that's not your job. And if you did initiate him, he would resent you. You are not his mother. You are not his initiation. The breakup's probably an initiator for him. And I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. And I'm just really in it, just so fucking in it. I know that sometimes you have to say no to the good to say yes to the great. Preston said this a million times to me in the past. But like, it's hard when you're in it, when I'm in it. Say I went to a party Friday night. Jake, I loved to spend 24-7 with. He was just someone I could never get sick of. I loved his company. And that is so few and far between where I'm just like, I want to hang out with you for a long period of time. He's literally the only person. Even my sister, I love her. And after two to four hours, I'm like, okay, let's go back to our own space. Like, I just love back time, but I loved being around him. And I know being in it and making decisions and creating stories from lack just isn't good and isn't healthy. But I went to this party Friday night and there were all of these influencers and men that think they're like the hottest thing ever. And this one man took a liking to me. And as ick as it sounds to say this, I knew who he was based from Instagram and I knew that he thought he was someone. So I obviously pretended to not know and he really tried to get in with me. And I played hard to get and he was pretty sexy. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give him some attention now. And when I gave him some attention back, then he started to attempt to play me and another woman there, like try and give us both attention. And I'm like, oh, I'm just so not here for this and for that. And my housemate this morning was like, Rebecca, you cannot make decisions based on a party that you went to on a Friday night in Bali. But it's so hard when you have been with someone that you believe is so good and has so much potential, but just is not fulfilling your needs and your life desires and the stage of life that you're in right now. And this kind of loop of could his potential have actualized and could we have created what I really wanted together but then you're asking me to sacrifice my life right now and just live in Perth and support you on a vision that might not ever come alive and there's no timeline and I'm 35 and this intense frustration. Our last text are us having a text war to each other and he was like, you just weren't patient and you could be here with me right now and we could be working on us if it wasn't for you and you abandoning me and you leaving to Bali and you just having a midlife crisis. And I just feel like, oh, again, like a man, telling me how I should be and what I should be doing. Even Jake said, you should have just created a life in Perth and you should have just created a community in Perth and you should have just created more friendship in Perth and you should have just done what you do in Bali in Perth. 
but Perth wasn't fulfilling me. Perth wasn't fulfilling me. And why should a man just tell me what I should do? Why shouldn't you step up to me? My business is flying so much higher than yours right now. Why didn't you step up? Why does the man think that they have the right to tell me that I should? And why is there this part of me that is like semi-listening of like, is he right? Should I have? I'll fucking go through the fire and the struggle with anyone. But like, you didn't even enroll me. You didn't even sit me down and say to me, hey, baby, I'm just about to build another business. It's going to take up 16 hours of my day and it's going to be really hard and I need your support with this. His alarm would go off between 3.30 a.m. and 4.30 a.m. Monday to Friday. And I was so frustrated that I didn't consent to that. I didn't agree to get woken up five days a week. I moved out of my beautiful home, my beautiful bed, and I moved into a home with him to help him. That was my intention. Then his alarm going off every day and he told me, you're a spoiled bitch, just get earplugs. But my business is flying so much higher than yours right now. If anyone needs to not be tired, it's me. And even after six months of living together, when I finally moved out, my mum turned around and said to me, you finally don't look tired anymore because I didn't have sleep for fucking six months straight. And I didn't consent to that. Just to be told, you just should. A supportive partner would just support their partner. What about someone that does FIFO? What about someone that does shift work? But I never agreed to being with a partner that does FIFO. I never agreed to being with a partner that does shift work. I wasn't enrolled into this decision. I was just told that this is what a supportive partner should do. And the amount of intense trigger and frustration and hurt and pain that's in that of just a man telling me what I should do, even when that feels wrong to me. That feels like not a consensual conversation. That feels like even if you think I should do that, I didn't agree to that. I didn't say yes to that. And so right now, the question that I'm really sitting with is what in my life did I tolerate and how did that perpetuate the breakdown of our relationship? Because now I'm very much aware of whatever I tolerate, I'm only going to create more of. So I made up all of these stories about our polarity and me not being pretty enough. I picture Jake now with some trashy bimbo blonde with tattoos up her neck and really fake tits all the way up to her chin and just looks so much different to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure he's going to have amazing polarity with her. But in hindsight, I'm like, hold on. It was you two in dynamic with each other, not just you not being sexy enough, pretty enough, blonde enough, skanky enough, slutty enough, or tattooed enough, fake boobed enough, like whatever. There's so much story for me around, oh my God, it's me that didn't create the desire for him. But ultimately, upon reflection, I'm like, hold on, I'm not attracted to a man going through financial hardship. I'm not attracted to a man who gets drunk like a child on the weekends. I'm not attracted to a man that turns around and says to me, you should have just been patient because now I'm outgrowing my drinking phase. I'm not attracted to those things. So of course, polarity did not exist for us because I tolerated all of those things. I'm not attracted to a man that says, well, you should just get earplugs and be okay with me waking up at 3.30 to 4.30 a.m. because I'm working on my legacy and you shouldn't complain. You just should be a supportive partner. I'm not attracted to a man who tells me in that capacity. I'm not attracted to that. That's also what killed desire and bred resentment because I tolerated what I wasn't okay with. And so anyone that is following along this conversation and relating it back to whatever you're navigating right now, yeah, I'm in so much pain and hurt and sadness and grief and I feel like I'm letting go of my best friend. I'm so angry at him and at me and he really has villainized me in the scenario, being like, you're chaotic, you're unsupportive, you're spoiled, you aren't patient, you aren't this. And I do understand you should have just been my rock through my most challenging year. And then there's another part of me that was like, you didn't enroll me in any of that for me to agree to any of it. 
I did not say yes. And the deep pain of like, this is another example of a man telling me how I should be. That It's my dad's stuff. And then my ex, the one that I thought that I would marry, he used to tell me how he thinks that I should be and that I'm too much this and too much that. And then the herpes thing, just like a man taking away what felt like my freedom of choice. And again, now, even this last breakup, I'm like, oh, I get that it's here for me to heal and move through. But it feels so painful that I'm hurting right now, losing someone that I love. And I feel like another example of my little girls showing up and saying yes to things I was not okay with. I was not okay with and tolerating. I'm like, what was she desiring? To feel protected, to feel loved, to feel safe. And when the little girl chooses her partner, look at all the ways that the woman loses out. Not one need of the woman can ever be met when the little girl is running the show. So my loves, I hope that you love today's episode from the microwave. If you love it, resonate with it in any way, if it's brought up anything within you, I invite you to screenshot it, share it to your story, tag me so that I can connect with you. And of course, DM me any massive personal private takeaways that you might love to share privately because I would love to read them. I hope that you really enjoyed this episode from my vulnerable tender heart to yours. I will be back in your ears next week. Have the most beautiful, brilliant day. Let's fucking go. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you're desiring more from me right now, firstly, I love your eagerness. And secondly, let's make it happen. Check out the link in my show notes where you can receive more information on my books, breakthroughs, online webinars, all upcoming courses and programs, and how you can get started on your journey within my world today. I can't wait to be back in your ears next week. And trust me, you won't want to miss this episode.